Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, that's the attitude that we come into your presence with, we choose to remember. And uh, we think of this day, uh, churches that have already gathered, uh, that are gathering right now, communities of faith. Um, as this day unfolds, Lord, would you be remembered today? Where there is conflict, would you be remembered? Where there is peace, would you be remembered? Among the sick, among the poor, would you be remembered? In other places where there is business, would you be remembered? Father, you are worthy to be remembered and we thank you for your son and for the gift that you provided on the cross for us. We say thank you. We remember that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? Well, good morning to you. Hi to those that are online. I have a question. Who is this God that we speak about and talk to? Who is this God that we sing to? Even from our short time together this morning, what words would you use to describe the God that we've been speaking about? Right from the very beginning uh, in the Bible through to the very end, God reveals himself as a God who wants to be present in the world, in this world that we live in. And that's essentially what I want to focus on this morning, the God who is present and what he wants to do in this world. And so let's start right at the very beginning. In the story of creation, we hear about God's love for man and woman and his desire to commune, to be with them, to dwell with them. And it was Adam and Eve's desire to become like gods themselves that ultimately tore these relationships apart. But God chose to be present. He provided a way for sinful people to interact and to have a relationship with a God who is holy. As time passed, God made a promise to a man called Abraham that from him a nation would emerge, a nation that would represent God on earth. Israel was not the biggest nation. It was quite small. It wasn't the most powerful nation either. And the Israelites were stubborn. Some of the words that we read in the Old Testament is that they were stiff-necked people. But God chose to be present. He provided a way to be present through a mobile desert temple, which the Old Testament calls the tabernacle. As they wandered through the desert, they were able to set it up and take it down. As time passed, the Israelites continued to rebel against God. They were not keen to be uh, a different nation. They wanted to be like other nations around them. They wanted so much to have a king that was physical and present, someone that they could talk to. So they rejected God as king, and yet God chose to be present. King Solomon was the, was the man that was charged with the responsibility of um, transitioning from the tabernacle to a temple, and he built a temple a place for God to be present on earth. Well, guess what? As time passed, Israel enjoyed times of prosperity and growth, but her disobedience, especially lack of justice, led to exile and destruction of the temple. So now what? 
where would God be found? Yet, he chose to be present. He arrived in the most unexpected, unassuming, underrated way possible as a baby named Jesus. And as a man, Jesus' teachings were revolutionary. He didn't speak to people about rules. He spoke about love and forgiveness. He taught about obedience, about sacrifice, about a way of doing life, a way of living that would tell others about um, who God was. Jesus, as we celebrated a few weeks ago, was ultimately uh, sacrificed, crucified, in order to deal with our sin and brokenness. So now what? Where would God be found after Jesus? Well, what if I told you that for 2,000 years, God's presence has remained on earth? And so the, the following question would be, well, where is the evidence? Where would we turn to if we wanted to see where God was? And Jesus himself provides an answer, and the passage that I want to start with is going to be on the screen. He spoke to his followers before um, he uh, moved to Israel, uh, to Jerusalem, before um, that, that final scenes unfold. He spent some time teaching his disciples, his followers. And in John 14, we read these words, If you love me, he said, you will keep my commandments. For I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. A while later, he continues to teach about the Holy Spirit and we read, I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, or sometimes it's translated as helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Jesus was revealing to his disciples that God is a God who what? Who chooses to be present. Later in John 20, so this is now after Jesus died and rose again, and Sandy last week spent some time unpacking those those days after the crucifixion and when Jesus uh, appeared to his disciples in various ways. We read in chapter 20, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So San, Sandy last week talked about Jesus' ascension, this, this final scene where Jesus gets taken up to heaven. But that was not the end of his presence. But it was the beginning of a new way of living on earth with him. Where once there was a tabernacle, then a temple, then Jesus on earth, God's presence is now through his spirit 
in the lives of his followers. What a strange thing to do. Isn't his presence better kept in a safe place than in my life? Why would he do this? I'm not perfect. God, are you sure you want to be present in me? We see the imperfections around us every day, and I'm especially good at seeing other people's imperfections. At uh, Worldview College, where I teach and, and live and work, uh, we get used to living with each other's imperfections, so much so that if you join us for orientation week, we have one little segment where we talk about pet peeves. <laughs> what's, your, what's one of your pet peeves? And for those that are online, maybe you'd like to, to chat in the, in the chat box and let each other know what your pet peeves are. Not all of them, just choose one. <laughs> I'll tell you one of mine. One of my pet peeves is when a person doesn't fade the music before stopping it. <laughs> it really annoys me. That doesn't matter where you are. If you're in the car, if you're at home, if you're at work, please fade it down and then stop the music. Another of my pet peeves is when a driver overtakes me on the inside lane at a traffic intersection. I don't know why that bugs me so much. And as it happens, it's not Jesus that's coming out of me. Another one is when my kids eat cereal on the couch. Because chances are, the cereal and the milk are not going to stay in the bowl. <laughs> Happens almost every time. Don't worry, I have some self-pet peeves. I get annoyed at myself. Like the times where I go to the supermarket and I realise that I didn't put the shopping bags in the car. And I've tried. You, try, you carry 20 items without buying a bag. It's just not worth it. I get annoyed at myself every time. That's okay. I need more bags. I've only got 1,000 of them at home. So I'm glad, I get a, I'm glad I get a chance to buy one more. So what, what are your pet peeves? Why would the living God choose to dwell among his people? Not in buildings, not in objects, not in structures, but in imperfect people. In sending his spirit, God doesn't wait for people to be perfect before living in them. He chooses to use people despite their imperfections. Welcome, imperfect people. So committed was God to being present that the first Christians after Jesus' time experience the outworking of the promise that Jesus spoke about. And the story that we find this is in Acts chapter 2, and it's actually quite a long chapter, and we really don't have time to read it all. But let me paint a scene for you of Acts chapter 2. The, the, the book of Acts is really a continuation of the story of the disciples and those that were following Jesus after Jesus had ascended to, to heaven. And so... Um, this book is a collection of the outworking of some of the things that they had learned, many of the things that they had learned, and also the outworking of what Jesus had promised, including the Holy Spirit. So early in the story, they had gathered together during the Jewish tradition of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost um, is a Greek word to describe an Old Testament 
um, feast or an Old Testament festival. And uh, in the Old Testament, or in Jewish, in Hebrew, sorry, the word, it, it really means um, feast of weeks, where a grain offering was presented along with the regular offerings as a way to honor God with the first fruits of the harvest. And in that period of time, that's now. So we've just celebrated Easter, and Pentecost happens 50 days after Easter. And so the word uh, Pentecost is the Greek for 50, and if you count from Easter Sunday, you'll count 50 days through to, it would be the 5th of June, 2022, and that's Pentecost Sunday. And so these disciples were gathered in this space, and then something happened. Read with me in this, on the screen from Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sudden sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as their spirit gave them ability. This was a Jewish um, feast or a Jewish tradition, Jewish practice, so there was all sorts of people around the place. And actually, uh, this, this work of the spirit couldn't be contained to just these followers of Jesus, so much so that some of the people started laughing at them. They started thinking that they were drunk because they sounded funny. Others were amazed. And at one point, one of them, his name was Peter, stands and begins to explain the story. He begins to tell Jesus' story from the beginning. Later on in the chapter, we read what he says. This Jesus God raised up, and that of all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the, highest, at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you both see and hear. And it says later in the chapter that 3,000 believed that day and were baptized. There's something quite significant, quite important for us in this chapter as we try and understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 shows us that receiving the Spirit compels us to do what? It compels us to point to Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. God's very own presence on earth facilitated the means for salvation. My imperfection, my shame, my brokenness has now been taken care of because of Jesus. Pentecost shows us that this is the story we are inspired to retell. So the Spirit activates in us the ability to see and hear Jesus' words for ourselves, but also to share the good news with others that haven't heard. The Spirit is not some sort of jetpack you strap on and enha to enhance your life. The Spirit is God's very own presence, dwelling among those who believe by faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the point has been and always will be to point to Jesus. No wonder you don't need to be perfect before the Spirit lives in you. He lives in you because Jesus chooses to use you despite your imperfection to draw people to himself. 
You are the living, breathing proof that God loves you and he loves the world at the cost of his son Jesus. So if you're a Christian, is your life reflecting God's presence so that others may see and hear about Jesus? Now more than ever, I reckon, we need men and women, young and old, whose lives represent the good news Jesus offers. Later on in the New Testament, we have a little book called 1 John, and we read these few verses. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So at the start, I asked the question who is this God? Who is this God that we worship? Who is this God that we talk about, that we pray to, that we, that we sing to? He is a God that chooses to be present. All over the world, for generations, groups of Jesus followers, also known as the church, have lived with the Spirit in order to tell their communities about Jesus. Door of Hope is no exception. So let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus offers the hope that no other can offer. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for the sake of my sins. He rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death once and for all. And I choose to worship him because he saved me from evil and destruction. I can testify to his goodness his provision, his healing, his answers to my prayers. And I choose to give up control of my life and let him guide me. I'm not alone in this, but live in the context of my church community. I choose to live so that others will know he loves them too. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you are what we call at Door of Hope, a Jesus-centered, others-focused person, how is the evidence of his presence playing out in your life right now? If you are new to Christianity or you still have questions, will you consider following him? Let me pray. Dear God, I offer two prayers uh, this morning. and The first is for those who um, know you and have followed you. Um, we call ourselves Christians and we strive to be more like you. Lord, can I just simply start by saying thank you for the fact that you, God, choose to be with your people. And you, even today in the 21st century, are still present in this world because you are present in the lives of men and women, young and old, um, and in the, present, in the presence of churches all around the world. You are there. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you will draw out from all of us 
this desire, this need to tell the world that is broken and fragile that you love them. The good news is that you save, you died on the cross, and there is life and hope in you. Use me, Lord, use us, use Door of Hope to keep proclaiming the good news, I pray. And Lord, I want to pray for my friends here this morning online or in the room. I ask that you would reveal yourself to them right now. The Bible teaches very simply that if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, all you need to do is ask. Lord, I ask that you would hear the prayers of those that are speaking to you right now. Fill their lives with your presence, with your spirit, that they would learn to hear your words and to see who you are and begin the transformation, this wonderful journey of becoming more like you. Together, Lord, we continue to worship you. We declare that you are Lord. Thank you for choosing to be in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to sing.